Hello and welcome to episode number 44 of the Beta Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Seb Fry, and for this episode, I'm very thrilled to have Leslie Appleton-Young as my guest. Leslie is the chief economist for the California Association of Realtors. Uh, every year, Leslie does a market forecast for the coming year. She puts that out in late fall, um, and she predicts what's going to happen with home prices, uh, you know, mortgage rates, unemployment rate, uh, sales volume, all kinds of facts and figures. And these reports are amazing. She updates them several times throughout the year. Um, and she just did a brand new mid-year update just today. Uh, and I watched it and it was fantastic and jam-packed full of information. So it was really special for me to, after she did that, to uh, have a talk with her about, you know, what goes into putting on these reports and like what really uh, drives interest rates and like what's going on with the uh, California home prices and employment and all that kind of stuff. Leslie is just such a wealth of information and a very warm and fun person to talk to. So without any further ado, please sit back, relax and listen to what Leslie Appleton Young has to say. Hey, Leslie, thank you so much for jumping on the call here with me today. I know you're super busy. I, I really appreciate you making the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Seb. Thanks so much for asking me. No problem at all. All right. Listen, I just listened to your uh, mid-year uh, market update, which was fantastic and all, as always, and we'll get into uh, some of that maybe a little bit later. But I just wanted to start by sort of learning a little bit more about you. Like, where did you grow up and like, what was your childhood like? Well, I'm actually a native Californian. I was born um, at the Queen of Angels Hospital in Hollywood, and uh, my father was a, um, we eventually moved to Long Beach. My father was a, a PhD in physics from USC, and he was one of the first physics uh, faculty hired at Long Beach State College, which at that time was, I think, two bungalows on the, on the lower campus. So I, I grew up there. Um, I graduated from high school and I went to Berkeley for uh, for college, and then I went back east to Philadelphia to the University of, of Pennsylvania uh, to study um, economics, and I got my master's degree from uh, from there. Um, I lived on the East Coast a total for about nine or ten years, and then I came back to Los Angeles in nineteen uh, end of nineteen eighty three and um, saw an ad in the newspaper for a um, research analyst at the state's largest trade association, which ended up being the California Association of Realtors, and that's 35 years ago, believe it or not. Wow, that is super cool. So you went to Berkeley. I'm from Berkeley. That's my hometown. What, what did you study at UC Berkeley? Economics, you know, Economics and then we would, we would never call it, Seb, we'd never call it UC Berkeley. We just call it UC. Berkeley. <laughs> oh, you can call it UC. Right? We just call well, it Berkeley. Those are, those like are... Everybody else had to say where they were, but we were like UC. Um, I, You know, I took an economics class my freshman year, and I just fell in love with it. I loved that it was, you know, history and people and sociology and um, math. It It just seemed to have everything that I was interested in. So I um, really started to major in, in economics right from the, from the get-go. Right from the get-go. So you've been working at CAR for 35 years, but there was a little while there before you started working at CAR. What, were you in a, like a professional economist before starting at CAR? Or? Well, I was very young in my career. So when I was in graduate school, I worked at the Federal Reserve Bank of uh, Philadelphia, and then I ended up in Rhode Island, and I worked for a, um, a consulting firm for a few years. So 
um, back in the day, you know, we, it was pre-computers, so I remember doing these very um, complex graphs, you know, with input, output, exports. I mean, it was incredible, and it was all kind of by hand and with stickers and so on. Um, we did do an interesting project. It was an analysis of the Rhode Island economy, which at that time was the kind of center for um, costume jewelry. And uh, really looking at a project, it was called the Greenhouse Project, looking at ways to percolate new industries because there was a clear understanding back in the um, you know, early 80s, late 70s, that that, it, that industry would be going away uh, overseas, which is, in fact, what had happened. So it was, it was a lot of fun to be there. All right, cool deal. So um, now, econ- economics, what, what exactly is economics? I mean, I think I know, but like, what's like the definition of, of economics exactly? I, you know, I'm not. I'm sure there is a formal definition that we could easily Google. From from my mind, it's really how people um, make decisions and how markets work. And I think the challenge for the industry or for the profession um, has been really reconciling these very heavily mathematicized, you know, models with how people actually make decisions. So in the years since I was in graduate school, there has been a, a um, blossoming of, of, of field, the field of behavioral economics uh, that says that people don't necessarily maximize utility, you know, and they don't necessarily make the best decisions given their, their input of information, and they don't have free information. So it's all the the frictions in the market, I think, that make things um, interesting because the reality is there are no free markets. You know, there, there are very few free, truly free, um, free markets. So it's, uh, um, I think that's what it's all about, right? It's about how people, how people decide and how markets work. It's about how economies grow. I've, I've been very, um, enamored with the Hamilton musical, and I've seen it six times. I can't get enough of it. I think it's so great. Um, But I thought one of the things that was very interesting about that was to look at Hamilton, whose view of the future of the colonies and and the United States was industrialized. um, It was mercantile. It was immigration. And Jefferson was a slave owner, right? He was, it was agrarian. That was the future that he saw. So you had these two very different competing visions of what the country was going to be. And here you have this guy who's secretary of the treasury, and he knows that we need credit, you know, and that we need a national bank. Um, very, very, I mean, it's been a great thing about that musical is that people really recognize what he did for this, um, this country that the other founding fathers just weren't weren't in tune with. Yeah, I I love that musical. I saw it in San Francisco, and I also love your explanation of what economics is much better than what I'm sure Google would tell me. It's how people make decisions and and how markets work. That's really um, a, a succinct way to put it. I think. Um, so you know, one thing that's uh, that I think a lot of people get sort of like confused about, and me myself and I, I kind of have a tenuous grasp, and that is that. Like the Federal uh, Reserve, you know, sets an interest rate, and just today they're talking about maybe doing a rate cut in July, right? 
And, and normally they say, well, when the Fed increases rates, then mortgage rates go up. But we've seen that, that the, the inverse happened. They've increased rates and mortgage rates drop. And maybe this time they'll increase, they'll decrease rates and maybe mortgage rates will increase. So, so is there really a, any kind of a firm link between like the Federal Reserve rate and mortgage rates that people get okay. when they buy a house? I think there are a variety of firm relationships, and one of the things that I've come to appreciate over the years is that there is an international capital market that the Fed does not control. And even though the Fed is very, very powerful and the dollar is the um, international currency, right, the currency of the realm, um, if you will, um, we get all kinds of capital flows in and out um, that are related to, let's say, political events, right? And I remember back in December of 2015 when the Fed raised rates for the first time, right, coming out of the, out of the downturn. And in January, rates actually went down because there was a hiccup in the Chinese stock market and a few other things going, over there, going on over there. And so we had this inflow of capital coming in that um, that resulted in 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 lower rates. So the Fed really can only do too much, and there and I think we've seen this also in the housing market. You know, there are people from overseas that buy houses that never move into them, and that have paid all cash. Um, and this isn't going on as much as it was before, but pay all cash and don't seem to have a budget constraint, you know, that they, and they, they're not living in the home, it's they're parking their currency in, in, by buying real estate in the United States because, you know, regardless of all the ups and downs that we have, we are the safest place to be if you want to, um, you know, have, keep your money safe, even if it's not um, in a bank. So even though the, when the Fed increases the shortest short-term rate, which is the Fed funds rate, which is the rate at which banks borrow from each other overnight to meet their reserve requirements, and that really ought to just go down the line of the maturities, it really doesn't, um, it doesn't happen that way. You know? And it's, it's, a lot of it has to do with um, expectations. There's been a lot of concern a couple of times um, in the last few months when the yield curve has gotten um, inverted. So short-term rates were actually above long-term rates. And you'd think if you, you know, were, you know, giving your money away for a longer period of time, you would earn more, but not if you think rates are going to be going down or the economy is going to tank in the future, then, you know, you get an inverted yield curve, which is why people were saying, gee, I feel, you know, the winds of recession coming. So the answer to your question is it's very simple and it's very complicated in practice. <laughs> All right, very good. A lot to think about right there. Um, so, you know, you mentioned in your mid-year market update about the affordability of California being like the worst in the nation. And so why exactly is that, do you think? And, and what would an economist say is the fix for this like low affordability in California? Um, well, the fix is we need to build more housing in California, period, and we need to make it less expensive to build housing in uh, in California. And, you know, when you go back to 1970, the U.S. median home price and the California median home price differed by about $400. And I don't know what that would be if you were, you know, correcting it for inflation today. I mean, it would be a gap, but it wouldn't be anywhere near the double gap that we have 
um, that we have today. And when you look at this long-term trend of the U.S. median home price and the California median home price, what you see over time is the impact of, of downzoning, of slow growth. What you see is, you know, this gap forming, um, and it, it gets bigger and bigger with the, with the California median going up. And there are, you know, very clear reasons why this is happening. You know, there have been rules and regulations and, and zoning requirements that over the years have reduced the land available to uh, to build. Um, I don't know if you saw the news story last week, but Milwaukee has um, uh, gotten rid of single-family zoning. Um, yeah, and so, so did Oregon too, right? Build, yeah, um, parts of Oregon. So um, that's really it in a nutshell. You know, we don't build enough, and homeowners, uh, for the most part, don't want... Um, more, con- you know, more construction near them. You know, you can build it somewhere else. And there, you know, have been a lot of measures that have passed that have been pro-growth and pro-building. But then when it comes down to actually putting, you know, the, the shovel in the ground and getting it started, it's just one lawsuit after another to prevent that from happening. Right, right, exactly. So basically regulations have put a stranglehold on the supply and its supply and demand, and uh, that's why we have it. We just have decades of strangled uh, creation of supply, and now we're paying the price. Yeah, and I, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, the social sciences always get a bad rap because, you know, the, the um, moniker was, well, you can't do a controlled experiment. And I've, I've, I've said that I think the Bay Area is a controlled experiment. And you think of it as a Petri dish with job growth and income growth and demographic growth and household formation and no housing growth. And this is right. what happened. The median home price in San Francisco is $1.6 million. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, crazy. So um, I just listened to your your mid-year update. Fantastic. I'm just curious, how long do those take to put together? That seems like it must just take weeks to put those together. Well, you know, yes and no. When we do the annual forecast, and I I must say I have a wonderful team of economists um, to work with. You know, Oscar Way, our director of research. Jordan Levine is our deputy chief economist. And... um, Guillermo Flores and uh, and Georgia Fennell. I mean, we have like a great team. And for our annual forecast, we work with um, a professor at the university um, at Cal State Fullerton, Cal State University at Fullerton, and re- we run a macro model and get numbers. But to be perfectly frank with you, um, we typically do a lot of um, adjusting. And the reason is it's – I think forecasting really is an art, not a science. I am very much in favor of scenario forecasting as opposed to single point forecasting because whatever number you pick, you're going to be wrong probably. Right. Uh, but I think the important part about doing the exercise of forecasting and thinking about the future is to really map out a couple of you know, specific but possible um, things that could happen. And even if there was a low probability that it will happen, if it would have a huge impact 
on you. Maybe you ought to think about it. And I always think about the Challenger explosion and the O-rings. You know, very small probability that they would would freeze and create the problem they did. But if they did, it sunk the, you know, people died. I mean, it was horrible. So I, I just always think about that. You know, what are, the, what are the stories that we want to tell that will teach us something about being prepared for what might happen? Right, right, okay. So, so it's kind of a mixture of um, a lot of reading, a lot of talking to people, a lot of seeing what the consensus is and what people are talking about. I mean, we're very um, involved with the National Association of Business Economists, um, here at, at CAR, and we, we are um, certainly in touch with every housing economist in the country. You know, we've all known each other for, uh, for a long time, and then we kind of do the best job that we can, and sometimes we get it close to right, and sometimes um, that's not the case, you know, but um, I look at it as a learning exercise as much as anything else. Right. Well, there's, the, the future is uh, very difficult to predict, and it's pretty brave of you, actually, to like, you know, to put so much, so many forecasts out there, right? I mean, like, it's just so hard to say anything in the future with any degree of certainty. It's just yeah, very I mean, impressive you what you guys do. Yeah, we've got to be a risk taker, right? We, we're, yeah. in a, we're in an industry of risk takers, and and we've got to at least lay out what we're thinking and what people ought to be watching. You know, like one of the things that I said uh, today is, you know, if you want to know what's going to happen in the market in six months, look at inventory. Inventory will tell you everything about where the market's going. So, you know, you oh, that's, just that's, trying to do the best you can. I'm glad you said that because I was asking you, my next question was, what, what are the key metrics that people should be looking at when they're, when they're reviewing your reports, which I always, like anytime you ever put a report, I always like share it with my database and on my websites, everything like that. So inventory, is that what people should be looking at? When, I mean, that's, like the, that's like the canary in the coal mine? Sorry, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, it, 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 nothing's going to sell if it's not on the market, you know, and the, the trends in inventory. And, and like I said today, we've had a, uh, you know, about a, a year now, or over a year of increasing acting, um, active listings going up, but for the past four months, they've been going up at a slower rate. So there is absorption going on. It's not like we're gaining inventory and it's sitting there, right? But what, what's happened is you have properties that are priced above market they are sitting there, <laughs> right? And the properties that are in excellent condition because everybody wants a Pinterest-ready home, right? HDTV has changed everybody's perception about what, you know, what their home is going to look like. Um, it needs to look great, and it needs to be priced right, and it will sell. Right, yes. And so also you were saying that the new normal of inventory in California is about three to three and a half months or whatever. That's just sort exactly. of... Exactly. It's about half what it used to be. That's about half what it used to be. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, so tell me about California's economy. I mean, here on your, again, your mid-year update, you said we've had 10 years of growth, right? And I remember Jerry Brown telling us at Ledge Day, you know, hey, you know, like, uh, we're like, you know, we're years past the normal expansion and that recession is coming, you know, right around the corner. What do you think? I mean, how are we going to be like in the next one or two years? Do you think we're going to really see a session in that time or just no way to know? I don't. Or? I don't. We could. I mean, I will never say never. Um, but I, I don't think a recession is driven by 
the date. You know, this has been a very unique recovery. It's been going on for now 10 years. I mean, this, this month is its 10th anniversary, and we've never had a recovery that's been, you know, a growth period that's been this long, but we've never had such a slow recovery early either. It took twice as long to put back all the jobs that were lost as it typically does. We don't have the imbalances um, in, the, in the market um, with, with all the shady lending that, w- that went on um, in 2004, 5, and 6. We don't have that today, right? So I'm, I'm sure there are many things that could, you know, a 10% mortgage rate, a no trade with the rest of the world. I mean, there are many things that could take the economy down, but I don't see anything brewing in in the market right now that's going to say 2020 we're going to go into a recession. We see growth slowing. Um, growth is slowing in China and Europe. It's one of the reasons why we're likely, um, I think we're almost assured now of getting a rate cut um, at the end of this month when the Fed meets, which, you know, nine months ago, who would have ever expected um, ever expected um, that? Um, but I, I'm not on the camp of a recession in 2020. I'm really not. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So you, you touched on a, a little bit of, uh, ago about uh, employment. And, you know, around here in the Bay Area, right, home prices are, are being driven up, they say, by – you know, all these legions of tech millionaires and other well-paid employees. But what about everybody else? So do you see any any like wage growth coming down the line for like non-tech, blue-collar, like normal type people? Is that going to happen I mean, in California? There is some wage growth. I think the, the national average is around 3% right now, um, maybe a little bit more than that. But it's just nowhere near enough to make up for the kind of price appreciation that we've seen um, in California, and that's why we spent a lot of time uh, earlier talking about net domestic migration out of California, um, because the wage, uh, the level of wages, unless you're in kind of the tech um, tech industry professional, or you happen to have won the uh, ovarian lottery, and you have a baby boomer parent that can write you a big down payment check. Um, it's just very hard. It takes a long time to save enough money for um, uh, for a down payment. And, you know, the jobs that every community needs that are kind of the bread and butter of society, you know, the teachers and the nurses and the firefighters, they don't make enough to buy houses near where they work in coastal California today. So it's a real... Um, it's a real tragedy and it's a real problem and it's working its way out, not by increased supply in California. I mean, we're barely above 100,000 units, uh, but it's being um, uh, balanced out by people going to other parts of the country to to live and work and raise their families. Yeah, totally. I, I, see, it. I see it all the time. I, I never really used to see it, but I see people looking at moving out of California almost every day now, it seems like. Um, you said yeah. that uh, wage growth is uh, 3%. Is that 3% after inflation or is that before inflation? I think that's with inflation. With, with inflation factored in there. Okay. I'd have to check that, but, yeah, I think, I, I think so. I, I, it, it might be real wage growth. Let me check. Yeah, because people bandy that number about, and I'm going like, well, is that before or after? 
Cause I, I, I thought it was with rate. I thought that was in considering inflation is what I thought because otherwise it's not just wage inflation rather than a wage growth. Here it says worker wage gains are keeping up with inflation and then some. Oh, yeah. Well, in the real average hourly earnings for all employees increased 0.2%. Um, that is the latest from the, from the BLS. So it would be 0.2% times 12, so 2.4, something like that. So that's real. Okay. All right. Good to know. Because I, I tell people that. I tell people, hey, you know, wages are going up. You know, you might not notice it, but it's happening. And cumulatively over the years, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help people afford the, the real estate here for the long run. So um, in, in your report, you mentioned that, um, like, the number of sales in California is way down uh, versus historical norms, norms, like way, way down. So why is that? And do you ever expect that that's actually going to change? We're going to, like, start selling houses again with the frequency we used to in the 70s or whatever? No, I don't. Um, and and what I what I said was that we had a huge drop in transactions when the market tanked in '07 and '08, and then things kind of came back up to around 400, five, 450, whatever, uh, 100,000 units, and then they've settled back down, and so. You know, we've been kind of going above and below, kind of fluctuating around um, 400,000 uh, 400, units for, for seven or eight years. And that's in the context of an economy with, you know, job growth, income growth, household growth, low interest rates, all the stuff we've been talking about. So the demand side of the, of the equation has been very robust. You know, people want to own, but... The supply side has just created a situation where um, boomers can't afford to move and don't want to, and building is just incredibly difficult for um, the building community. Um, so that's really it's it's really not any more complicated than that. Okay. So, you know, one question I get a lot is like, are we in a bubble? Like, is a correction coming? Uh, it doesn't really sound like you feel like a correction is coming, right? I mean, like... No, I mean, I think, well, you know, prices have softened at the high end. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But if you're talking about, you know, a repeat of 08, no. Yes. No, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. And I don't see a significant softening as long as the economy remains as strong as it is and people, you know, are working and have the income to pay their mortgages. You know, right. if the economy, you know, deteriorated for some reason, um, that would be another story. You know, you're always going to increase and in, people can't afford it. They have to, you know, they lose their homes. You have an increase in foreclosures. I mean, we've all been through that cycle a few times, right, um, in, in California. So that's why I say um, never say never. But I don't see those, you know, those imbalances in the market uh, today that existed uh, back then. And unfortunately, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? <laughs> Would have right. been nice to have um, really been able to act on that information back then. But, you know, everybody was making a lot of money. 
Right. So you know, I'm like a, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a like a, 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 a hobbyist or like an enthusiast for like uh, real estate numbers. And like when I've done my own research, I I seem to see that when there's a recession and then prices go down, right? It's not normally what happened in 08, which is that prices go down and they cause uh, a huge recession. So is that, do I have that right? That typically housing prices don't just go down all by themselves, that there usually is some kind of impetus or, or well, do absolutely. prices just go down for? Well, they go down when people, you know, the economy tanks, right? People lose their jobs. They can't pay their mortgage. They leave, they lose their homes and you get this increase in the supply of housing on the market and no demand, right? People right. aren't aren't buying. The economy is in a recession. Right, right. So um, I, I know we got to wrap things up here, um, but just uh, one last question, um, and that is, is that um, you know uh, back when Trump's budget passed, CAR was forecasting that this would have a uh, like a potentially a ten percent uh, drag on home prices. Do you feel that's that's at all at play here? Like in the Bay Area, you know, like home prices have come down. I was just looking at you in your in your in your presentation that yeah. um, you know Santa Clara County is down. Do you think that really has a lot to do with the with the mortgage interest deduction and the salt cap and all that or No, I well I think I think on the buy side um, it's had an impact. Um, you know, most people now are take are doing the short form as opposed to the long form, and it's it's um, we just did an I can't remember the numbers off my head, but we just did an analysis of that um, of that here, and it was like a huge shift. You know, it just doesn't make sense for people to itemize when the you know when the standard deduction is twenty four thousand dollars for a married um, for a married couple. So um, there's no doubt in my mind that that's had an impact, but I don't think we've seen the full brunt of it yet because people just went through that process filing taxes. Um, taxes in April. Um, there is no doubt that the Tax Reform Act, um, no, I won't say nullify, but it certainly dulled the impetus for home ownership that had built, been built in with the deductibility of property taxes and with the higher cap on the mortgage interest deduction. Um, I don't think that we've seen the kind of um, dramatic drop that we thought we might see. Um, so we were off on that, but it may also be, again, um, nothing stays, nothing else, you know, stays the same. You know, you're looking at this in the context of a, um, of a very dynamic market where the, the stock market's been uh, booming, job growth has been absolutely incredible, and the supply of homes has just not kept, um, has just not kept pace. So um, it's a complicated stew of, uh, of factors, as you mentioned earlier. Right. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, so I'm going to let you go. But before I do, I just want to ask if you have anything that I, I, I didn't ask you or anything you want to share with our audience. Oh, boy. Um, I, I don't think so. I guess maybe just to really be um, clued into the local, um, local planning efforts in your own community and see what you can do to, to help accommodate at least some kind of growth. I think the accessory dwelling unit um, legislation that that was passed um, should, if the if the communities will support it, um, provide um, a way to at least, you know, at least, you know, give your poor mother, <laughs> you know, your mother, your dad, uh, a place to live close to their grandchildren or something, you know. But we all we all should try to be part of the solution. All right, very good. We should definitely uh, all try to be part of the solution. I wholeheartedly agree. 
All right. Well, Leslie, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to appear on the Beta Bay podcast. You know, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. All right. And I'm sure I'll see you at a car conference uh, momentarily. You bet. All right. That wraps up episode number 44 of the Bay to Bay podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Leslie. There is so much that goes into the housing market. There's so many factors, you know, domestic, international, monetary, fiscal, consumer sentiment. You know, it really is very difficult to predict the future. And, and Leslie does so boldly every year and several times uh, throughout the year. Um, and I really appreciate all the work that she and her team at the California Association of Realtors does putting these reports together because a lot of what I tell my clients is what I've learned uh, by listening to uh, to Leslie in her presentations and uh, all the other updates that I get sent um, all throughout the year. So that is it for this episode of the Bay to Bay podcast. And hey, if you like this, would you do me a favor? Would you... Share this episode with someone you think who might be interested in it. And uh, I would also appreciate it if you would go ahead and give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And before I wrap things up, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the Beta Bay podcast is sponsored by thesoldbook.com. That's right. Go to thesoldbook.com to pick up your free copy of my book, Get It Sold. It's all about how to sell your home quickly and easily for the very highest price possible with the least amount of hassle and risk and having a good time doing it. So this book, it sells for 13 bucks or so on Amazon.com. You can go and buy it there. It's a real book, but check it out. I will send it to you for free, free, free if you go to thesoldbook.com to order a copy there and check it out if you use the coupon code FREESHIP that's F-R-E-E-S-H-I-P use that coupon code at, at checkout I'll even ship it to you for free so you can't beat that at all it's only 110 pages it's a very quick read and I wrote every word myself and I guarantee you're going to love it alright that is it for this episode of the Beta Day Podcast thank you so much for listening and before you know it I'll have another episode ready for you 